are in our continue book. Pastor asked me uh, to continue on, get it, continue on with the continue book. And so he asked me to do that. So in my book, I'm sure it's the same as yours. Uh, I believe that would be, I don't have pages on here, uh, but it is the fourth chapter. So it's going to be on salvation. So the first week we talked about, if you were up here, we talked about the Word of God, the Bible. Then we talked about God, and then we talked about uh, the Lord Jesus last week. And this week we are on salvation. And so turn there, if you would, in your continue books, as well as Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. Let's go to the Lord this evening in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for your many blessings. And Lord, I pray that you would help with the requests that were mentioned Lord, I do think about Pastor, and I know that uh, he, loves, he loves your church here. And Father, I pray that you would just give him safety as he comes back. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, his just traveling time would be a good time with you. And, and Lord, just, just work on him and, and take care of him and give him safety. Lord, there's several other people that are away. I think about uh, Brother Mike. I think about uh, Miss Linda. Uh, all Lord and, and just others and pray that you would help them as they are away keep them safe and bring them back here uh, Lord I do think about this this individual named Drew who is struggling with alcohol there in Fowler and Father I I pray that you would use Cherie and Keith and all the family uh, Lord to, to be a testimony to him I pray that he would see his need for you and that Lord you would work on his heart and his life and and just would you work in a special way there. Lord, I think about the Jances. I, I, I pray that you would help them. And there's, I know there's many other people that are, have been sick. And just I ask that you would take care of their needs. Uh, Lord, I, I know Preston as well. And, and, and Lord, many people have different things. And, and, and Tyrell's not feeling well. Pray that you'd help him. Lord, I also think about uh, this, this fellow in Texas named Wesley who's going through a very difficult time of cancer. And I pray that you would just work in his life and, and help him uh, at this time. Lord, uh, I, we do ask that you would help our country. Uh, Lord, we are a country that needs you. And so we ask that you would, you would work. Lord, help us as Christians in our country to stand for what is right. And Lord, help us to, to be the testimony to a lost world that we need to be. Lord, I pray that you would just help our church. And, and I pray that as a church, we would uh, have such a love for you and, and to grow in our knowledge of who you are and in your word. And, and Lord, I, I pray that you would just guide us and direct us as a church, that we would grow together, that we would uh, love each other and love the lost. And, and that, Lord, here in our own city, that we would make a, an internal impact on, these, on the lives of each and every person uh, that we come into contact with. Uh, Lord, whether it's at work or whether it's, it's in our neighborhoods or whether it's in our own families. Uh, Lord, whether it's in the lives of the kids that, that we, we talk to and we get to minister to every week. Uh, Lord, just, just use us to be a light. Uh, help us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have had to, to dive into your word and, and learn some truths about, our, about the word of God and about you and about the Lord. And, and tonight, Lord, I'm excited that we get to look about salvation and see what your word has to say about, about salvation. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, give clarity of thought. I pray that, that you would help us to be attentive uh, to everything that we say and do tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. 
And, and I want you to notice this. It says in verse 1, and you hath he quickened. Now, what does that word quickened mean? It means to be made alive. To be made alive, I, I, there has to be a time in my life when I was, I was dead spiritually. And we understand that. It says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in his mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, when you look at the book of Ephesians, and and I know that Brother Bliss on Sunday night uh, talked a lot about the book of Ephesians. But when you understand and you look in the background a little bit of the book of Ephesians, you understand that this was a church. These were people who were once lost deeply in their sins. Idol worshipers and struggling with different things. And, and when they received the gospel, Paul says, I want you to understand, you were given a new life. God made you alive. And I'm sure if you think about it, for most of us, you can look back into your life and think, you know what? Uh, I can relate to that. There was a time in my life when I was lost in my sins. There was a time in my life when I had no assurance of my salvation. And I, I, I really didn't know. I heard about Jesus. I heard about church. I, I heard about these things. But, but like the, the Ephesians, you can look back and say, hey, I remember that moment in my life when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. You know, when you understand this, and, and, and there's no way tonight that we can... Uh, really go throughout all the word of God and study everything that there is about salvation. But if there's one thing that the world needs today is to understand that there is a heavenly father who loves them and who died for them and who has the power to save them and to forgive them. But also in our world today, there are so many people who are coming up and saying, well, look, there's so many different ways that I can achieve salvation. There's so many people who are saying there's so many different ways, but we understand from the word of God. And remember, John chapter, John chapter 14, Jesus Christ said he was the what? The way, the truth, and the life. So we understand that Jesus, there's, there's salvation in no other. Remember, take your Bibles real quick. And before we dive into it, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4. And I want, I want to look at verse 11 and 12. And so I want us to just get this. Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. The Bible says, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And verse 12, the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. 
So in reality, the greatest thing that we can understand about salvation is know this, that God loves you and that there is salvation in no other person. There's salvation in no way possible for you and for me, but through whom? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not possible without him. And so we have to, to remember that. And But we look at this, I, I think about this. Think about, and you can look in your books here, Think about all the things that happened the day that you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Spiritually. Think about all these things. Number one, look at this. You passed from darkness to light. I was in darkness in my sins, but because of Jesus, I have light now. I'm walking in light. Acts 26 verse 18 says, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Not only did you pass from darkness to light, but you were born again. The Bible says in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. One of my favorites here is, You've been redeemed. I was once lost in my sins, bound in bondage to my sin. But the Bible reminds us in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then as we heard Sunday evening, you are adopted into God's family. Romans 8, 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And this is the first note that you, first blank that you can fill in here. All of that took place at the moment you called on the Lord for salvation. All of that. I was once in, in sin. I was once in darkness. And now I'm in light. I was once in bondage to my sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ bought me with his precious blood. I was once a child of the devil. But now because I trusted him as my personal savior. I am now a child of God. I'm a part of the family of God. All because of that moment. Now when I think about moment here. You ever meet that person. Who remembers every single detail about their salvation. They know the day, they know the hour, they know the time, they know, they, they, they know who was president. They know every single detail. But does everyone remember every detail? No. How many of you remember the song? I don't know if, the, if you've sang this here. When I, was a, when I remember being a kid and, and growing up in Tennessee, you know the song you know, where they would sing, uh, It was on a Sunday, somebody... Saved me. It was on a Sunday. It was on a Monday. It was on a Tuesday. It was on a Wednesday. It was on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday. And then at the very end, you know, and what you would do is when you started singing, if you were saved on Sunday, you would stand up and you would be clapping and you'd just keep on singing. And so if you were on a Monday, you would stand up and all the way to Saturday. And then for everyone that couldn't remember, they would do what? It was on a Sunday. I don't remember the day. But it, I know that there was a moment. And here's the thing. You may not remember every single detail about when you trusted Christ, but you remember the moment. You remember that time when you realized, hey, you know what? I am a sinner and I need Jesus and I'm going to put my faith and my trust in him. 
the moment that you were, as you look, and you, can, and you can write this down in your side notes, the moment that you were justified. Galatians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Titus chapter 3 and verse 7. That moment that in the eyes of God, it was just as if I had never what? Sinned. He removed, he covered my sins. All of the things that I had done, every which way in my life in which I was living in disobedience to the word of God, everything was removed and it's gone. It's under the blood. And it's over. And he gives us a new life. Understand that. The moment I was justified. But oftentimes... For a Christian, there are several questions that pop up into our minds, aren't there? There are several questions that we want to grow in and learn about in the word of God concerning salvation. For instance, you can look at this in your notes. Number one, can I lose or can you lose your salvation? What if you don't feel saved? And is there anything you should do now that you are saved? And I like this. As we answer these questions, notice what he says from the Bible you see some wonderful truths about the gift of salvation. The Bible must be our source of truth and dependency. It must not be something that in which I am, am looking at myself. I must find my, my, my dependency and what I believe concerning salvation from the word of God. So let's start this. Number one, can I lose my salvation? Can we lose our salvation after we have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? Sometimes, after a person trusts Christ as our Savior, they begin to worry that maybe something they do wrong will make them lose the promise of eternal life. Thankfully, it is not possible to ever lose your salvation. So those are the first two lines there under, can I lose my salvation? Lose, impossible, you know, I can't tell you how many times working with kids that a child I would have dealt with 15, 20 times and you, you thought that they had it. You thought that they had it down. And then all of a sudden you come back and they think, okay, well, I need to get saved again because, well, maybe I did these bad things or maybe I said this bad thing. But I want you to notice that from the word of God, it is not possible to ever lose your salvation. And here's why, according to Scripture. First of all, because God's gift is forever. God's gift is forever. When God gives a gift, it's for keeps. And the gift of salvation is the gift of eternal life. Do you remember as a kid that, I don't know, how many of you had siblings growing up? Okay. You ever remember maybe a friend or a sibling and you gave something to them, but then you got aggravated with them? And so you took back what you, what you said that was theirs? Didn't you never do that? Or am I like the only one that was ever that bad? Okay. Well, you think about it. The thing is, is Jesus never does that. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? Here's a gift for you. But you know what? You've been bad, so therefore I'm going to take it away from you. He never does that. His gift is forever. John 10, verse 28 through 29. I think I had Brother Levi, if he could, read that. Remember, God's gift is forever. No man can pluck you out of the hand of Christ. 
your salvation is eternal. John 5, 24, I think I had Brother Lou. This is actually one of my favorite verses in regard to understanding that my salvation is eternal. John 5, 24. shall not come into condemnation. You notice here a gift is free and once it has been received, it cannot be taken back. Remember Romans 6.23, he has this down here. So many times we always focus on the bad part of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That is terrible news. Eternal separation from God Almighty because of my sins. But God doesn't just give us bad news, He gives us good news. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? eternal life. He has good news for us. John 3.16 in itself says what? That we should not perish, but we have what? Everlasting life. So understand, God's gift is forever. Number two, notice this. Our relationship is sure. God wants us to remember that from the word of God, that our relationship with him is sure. When we accept Christ, we are born into the family of God. And once we become a child of God, we remain his child for all of eternity. And there was nothing that we can do to cause God to disown us. Brother Donald, John 6, 37. I believe I asked you to read that if you could for me. At times, my children aggravate me. But nothing that they do, I pray, would ever, I pray I would never get to this point. Nothing they do will stop me from looking at them as my children. They have my blood, and there's nothing that they can do about that. They're my children, the gift that God has given to me. And God says, listen, when you've placed your faith and trust in me as your child, you are mine forever. I'm never going to sit there and disown you. I'm, no matter what you do. You know, at times as Christians, we can falter and fail God. Sometimes deliberately. And God says, you know what? I still love you. You're still my child. I'm not going to disown you. But notice this also. Thirdly, we have a security deposit. We have a security deposit. Like the earnest money you may be asked to put down when getting a loan to buy a house. So God has given us an earnest to assure us that he is going to follow through on giving us a home in heaven. He wants us to remember, hey, I've given you an earnest of your salvation. And what is that earnest? Who is that earnest? It's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1.22 and in chapter 5 and verse 5, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13, the Bible says, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Notice this. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. You are sealed by him. You're sealed. He says, I've given you a testament, a proof in your life. My gift to you is not only that I've, I promised to save you, but I've given you a proof in your fact by giving you the Holy Spirit to live in you. 
to help you, to guide you, to direct you. Remember, he said to, to, to his disciples in the, in the Gospel of John, again in chapter 14, I will not leave you, what? Comfortless. But the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. He'll bring to remembrance the things that I've talked to you. He's given us proof through the Holy Spirit. So here's a question that we can answer emphatically from the word of God. Can you lose your salvation? No. A thousand times no. Because God's gift is forever. Because our relationship is sure. And because we have a security deposit. But notice the second thing here. Here's a second question regarding salvation that oftentimes we may face. What if I don't feel saved? What if I don't feel saved? Sometimes our emotions don't match reality. How many of you have ever played around with virtual reality? Any of you ever done that? Andrew, you're kind of like smiling. <laughs> the, a couple few months ago, we went over, my wife and I and Brother Josh and Miss Rachel went over to Brother Jeff and Miss Linda's house. And, and, we, and we had supper. And then we went downstairs. And, and I'm not really sure why Brother Jeff and Miss Linda have this. But they had a virtual reality game. And they wanted us to try it. Well, Brother Josh got to go first. And, and then I wanted to do it. And so I remember putting that on and thinking, okay, well, sometimes if you put it on, maybe, maybe I'll know where I'm at. But you put that on, and then I can't see any light from anything. I can't, I exactly, I don't know what direction I'm facing. I don't know anything. And all of I see, next thing I know, I'm in this cage. And as I'm in this cage, I'm being lowered down into the ocean. And everything looks so real. I turn. As I turn, it's like literally I'm turning in the ocean itself. And I'm looking down. If I look down, I can see. And I look up, and I can see. And, 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 and you're going down, and all of a sudden, the cage breaks or whatever and the cable breaks and you're going down and you're going down and you're going down and, 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 and it's pumping these sounds in there and all these vibrations and, and before you know it, you literally, there's a shark coming at you and you really think that, you know what, I'm really going to be eaten. Was I really being eaten? No, because it was just virtual reality. But sometimes our feelings don't match reality. Sometimes a Christian may not feel saved and thus may doubt that they ever truly were saved. You know this, the devil likes to play on our emotions. But should our faith be based on our feelings? No, our faith should be based upon the truths of the word of God. But the devil knows that. He knows that as individuals, as humans, we tend to, to feel a lot of emotions. And sometimes as we go in the Christian life, there may come times where it's, you know, I don't really feel like I'm a Christian because maybe I don't really have a desire for certain things or, or maybe I'm struggling and, and I don't really feel close to God. But notice this, God wants you to have assurance of your salvation. He wants you to know emphatically that no matter what your feelings, if there was a time you trusted him, that you are his child. How then can we have this assurance? And note these several things. Number one is this. We have assurance because of God's promises. God promised that anyone who calls on him for salvation shall be saved. Not might. Romans 10, 13. Anyone, can anyone quote that off the top of your head? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does he say, you know what, if you call upon the name of the Lord, there's a, there's a really good possibility that you'll be saved. No. 
He says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall. If you look in, in Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's not a hope-so salvation. It's a no-so The God who has promised to give us eternal life is a God who cannot lie. He always keeps his promises. Titus in chapter 1 verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. He says, I want you to have assurance that you are saved if you've placed your faith and trust in me because I'm not going to lead you astray. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them through truth. Thy word is what? Truth. So we can rest our assurance on the word of God, on the promises of God. But notice number two, we have assurance because of God's presence. As mentioned a moment ago, the moment you trusted Christ as your savior, the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit assures our hearts of our relationship with God. It is that still small voice inside that helps you to rest assured, you know what, I am a child of God. I do belong to him. Romans eight sixteen in your notes here says, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if you look over here, you can turn the page, but First John chapter 3, verse 24 says, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given to us. But I, I want to focus real quick on this. But as a Christian, I know the Holy Spirit is in me when I have placed my faith and trust. He assures me of that. But can we extinguish the voice of God in our minds and in our hearts? Yes. The Bible in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says what? In verse 19, quench not what? Who? The Spirit. That idea of quench reminds me of when I was a kid. And you know, you talk about it. I, you guys drink out of water hoses, right? Okay, it's fun. Okay. Maybe you saw someone watering, you know, a garden. You wanted to be ornery. And so what would you do? You would take that water hose and you'd crank it up to where the flow of the water couldn't get out. And, and maybe if, if they're unexpecting and they looked at the hose, what would you do? You let the hose go and you let all the water go all over them. It's really funny. But here's what you're doing. You're stopping the flow of water. The idea of quench here says, you know what? I'm stopping the flow of the Holy Spirit. I'm stopping his voice. I, can, I know it's there, but maybe there's something in my life that I know is wrong, and I'm not dealing with it. I'm refusing to let it, God work on my heart. I'm refusing to make it right. And because of that, I can no longer hear the voice of God in my life. Thus sometimes, and I want you to underline this because I think this is so important in your notes. Thus sometimes Christians doubt their salvation because they have blocked the voice of the Holy Spirit giving them assurance. Even in my own life, there's times where I doubted. Why? Because I know that there was something in my life that I wasn't wanting to make right. And I couldn't hear his voice. Number three, notice this. We have assurance because of God's love. 
You can know that you are saved because of God's love. There is absolutely nothing we or any other person or thing can do to separate us from the heavenly Father's love. Romans 8, chapter 30, chapter 8, verse 35, the Bible says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing that we do can stop God from loving us. But you notice real quick, and this isn't in your notes, but you notice sometimes we stop loving people because of what they do for, to us. Sometimes because someone isn't treating me the way that I want to be treated, therefore I'm not going to show them the love that I should be showing them. But does God do that to us? No. Is he disappointed at times? Yes. Because he loves us and he wants us to walk in righteousness. But sometimes if we're not careful, we cannot love like Christ. We can love with a conditional love. A love in which says, you know what? My love is based on how you treat me. What you do for me. But God says, nothing that I do will ever separate my love from you. So we can have assurance because of God's love. But also, we have assurance because of God's work in our lives when we trust christ as our savior we are made a new person second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says therefore if any man be in christ he is a new creature all things are passed away behold all things are become new god begins to work in our lives in specific ways and as we see his work unfolding we know it is the hand of god And he gives several evidences of salvation in a Christian's life. Notice this, number one, hunger for the word of God. There was a time, maybe before you trusted Christ as Savior, where you didn't really care about the word of God. You didn't really care about some of these things. But as you trusted him as your Savior, you wanted to grow. You wanted to develop in your walk with Christ. The Bible reminds us in 1 Peter 2, 2, in your notes here, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Maybe it's not just the hunger for the word of God, but now as you've trusted the Lord as your Savior, there's a growing obedience to God's commandments. 1 John 2, 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. How can I know and have assurance that I'm walking, that, that I am a child of God Because he's doing a work in your life. Because you're not who you used to be. Maybe the things that that you once craved or the things that you once did or or the things that you once desired. when When he saved you, it's, you know what, I don't have that desire anymore. Or maybe, maybe sometimes you may still struggle with some fleshly things. But in your heart and in your mind, you're saying, you know what, I want to do what's right. I want to obey my father. I want to do what's right according to his word. And it helps me to know that I'm a child of him because of his work in my life. But notice this thirdly, love for other Christians. 1 John 2.10, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. How can I know what's an assurance of God's work in my life is when I have 
a growing love and compassion in my heart, in my life, to be a difference maker in the life of someone else. It's that desire that says, you know what? There's someone in need, and I want to be a blessing to them. I want to show someone the love of Christ. And if that love in our lives for, for the lost and for other people is in our lives, he's saying, look, that's my evidence of you, me working in you. So trust that. As these evidences of salvation develop in our lives from the inside out, we have assurance that God is working in our lives. But notice this also, because we have assurance because of God's chastening. We have assurance because of God's chastening. We will never lose our salvation because we sin. Since we cannot earn salvation by anything we do, we cannot lose it by what we do or don't do either. But just as a child who disappoints their parents through something they do is still the parent's child, so the child of God who sins is still God's child. We've talked about that. The father-child relationship is still real, but the fellowship becomes strained. It is not okay for us to just keep sinning without caring. In fact, as a loving Heavenly Father, God, here's a blank for you, God corrects us when we sin, and that correction is proof that we are his children. Now, I don't want you to, to say it, but I want you to think about it. Has there ever been a time that you know, hey, God, God whooped me. <laughs> God got my attention. And it was in a way that wasn't very pleasant. It was never pleasant getting a spanking growing up. I told you before, one of the things that I would do as a child, I knew I was in trouble. I knew that I was going to have to face my dad. And so I would go into my room and I'd put on as much clothing as I possibly could. As a child, I thought, you know what? My dad can't see this clothing. So I'm just going to put as many pairs of clothing as I can. And maybe it won't hurt so bad. I was, I was pretty ignorant because my dad always caught that. And if he caught that, guess what? My paddling was even worse. I wish I would have wisened up to that. But God says, you know what? I love you enough to correct you. Because I don't want you to go in that path that's going to hurt you. I don't want you to go into that path that's going to lead you astray. And so for a child of God who's determined to do wrong and he's determined to not make it right, God says, hey, one of the proofs that you're my child is that moment when you face my chastening. And, so, and that chastening doesn't always feel very pleasant. The Bible reminds us in Hebrews Hebrews chapter uh, 12 verse 5 and ye have and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children my son despise not thou the chastening of the lord nor faint when thou art rebuked of him for whom the lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth so we see God wants us to not only be saved, but to have assurance of our salvation, to have absolute confidence in our hearts that we have a sure relationship with him. You know, one of the things, can I, can I just be honest? I know I, I'm going to get through this. One of the things that I struggled in my life was basing my assurance of my salvation on my emotions. There were so many times that I could not understand. Maybe I'm not saved because I don't feel close to the Lord. But as I've grown and as I've matured, I've realized my salvation and the assurance of my salvation must never be upon my feelings. 
but must be on my faith in what the word of God says. And I can have that assurance when I rest in the promises of God. When he says, listen, if you trusted me, if you depended upon me, if you called on me, you're my child. I can rest in the fact that the Lord is not going to turn me away. His love is going to be from everlasting to everlasting. I can rest in the fact because I know that there's been times when I've received the chastening of the Lord. So we can answer that question, what if I don't feel I'm saved? Trust in the word of God. Depend on his work in you. But notice this, the third, the third question that we often face is this. Why should I be baptized? We understand, is baptism part of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28? Yes. Just as much of a command as it is for the church to go and to teach all nations, it is also a command for the church to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? That is our duty as a church. It is what God has, has asked us. Notice this. Baptism is an exciting step of obedience after you are saved because it is an outward expression of your inward decision. Notice this. It is in no way part of your salvation, but it is one of the first ways we can demonstrate that we want to obey our Lord's command. John 15, 14 in your notes here says, Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. While baptism is not part of salvation, it is an important step of obedience to Christ. And by following the Lord in believer's baptism, you are obeying Christ and showing others that you are glad He is your Savior. From the Word of God, we can understand that baptism has no part in our salvation. We are saved by what? By faith. Faith in Christ. But baptism is that outward expression of the inward decision that we made. It is significant. And I, like, and I want you to notice this. He said here, by following the Lord and believers, baptism, you are obeying Christ and showing others that you are glad he is your savior. I've talked about my kids and I tell our teens this. I honestly believe this. Any loving father is going to want their child to be excited about in the sense, hey, for me, I know that my family may not have been perfect, but I want my child to be grateful that he's my child. I want my children to be say, hey, you know what? I have a great dad. I love my dad. I'm so glad I'm a part of the fine household. As a dad, I would love for my kids to, 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 to love that and to want to show it. So why would God be any different? He says, look, I saved you. I bought you. I redeemed you. I've made you my child. Now I want you to publicly express that to everyone else. I want you to be excited about the family that you now belong to. I want you to be excited and to be able to show people, hey, I was once lost in my sins, but now my sins are buried with Christ. They're gone, and now I have a new life in Christ. He wants us to be glad about that. Notice these important truths regarding baptism. Baptism is an identification. The Bible teaches that baptism is a symbol, an outward expression of an inward decision. We already talked about that. In the life of every Christian, baptism is an important first step of obedience to God that declares to others your faith in Christ. Notice this. He says this. If it's a symbol, if it's a sign, if it's a picture, what kind of a picture is it? Just as a wedding ring identifies a husband with his wife, baptism identifies a Christian with Christ. 
That identity is with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5 says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should walk... Also, so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. He says, it's a picture. It's a picture of what I've done in your life. And, he, and I know we notice here, it, it, he gives a picture of a wedding ring. When I, when I got married, what was a symbol of me being, getting married? What was my sign to my wife? And in front of everybody else, it was my ring. And when people look at my ring, they say, oh, hey, that guy's taken. When people look at my wife, they say, hey, she's taken. I can't have her. They may think otherwise, but they can't have her because she's mine. God gave her to me. If I take this ring off, does it mean that I'm not married to my wife? No. But I want to wear this because I want to show people, hey, I do belong to her. And she does belong to me. Think about this. If you notice here in a kind of a conversation starter, I like what he said. He said, perhaps a sports team or hobby, how do you let others know that you consider yourself part of that group? I, everyone knows that Brother Rogers is a big Patriots fan, right? And the Patriots did win the Super Bowl. Now, he said, I mean, I got an amen tonight. It's not the only amen I got. Man. I don't mind the Patriots, but can I be honest with you? I am a huge Detroit Lions fan. I absolutely love the Detroit Lions. I absolutely enjoy the Detroit Tigers. I I enjoy the Detroit Red Wings. (laughs) If any of you, how many of you like hockey? Anyone like hockey? You understand that the Colorado Avalanche are like major, you know, competition to the Red Wings. Well, maybe not this year. Red Wings haven't been too, too hot. But the Avs and the Red Wings are, are major foes in hockey, okay? If I were to put on a Tigers or a Lions or a Red Wings, or I'm a huge Michigan Wolverine fan, if I were to put those jerseys on, what does that communicate to other people? This is my team. This is who I'm going to root for. This is who I'm going to, you know. Now, if I wear it in, in, in a hockey, in an abs game, I might get more than just recognized for who I am. I might walk out with a black eye. But it communicates to other people, my team. So baptism does the same. It is your way of saying to everyone, Jesus saved me and I'm not ashamed of him and I want to live for him now. That's what baptism is. But also notice this. Baptism also identifies a Christian with the local church and its doctrine. In the New Testament, people who were baptized were then added to the what? To the church. The Bible reminds us, Acts 2, verse 41 and 42. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So understand, when we look at the word of God, when I'm baptized, I'm identifying with Christ that he, that he died for me, He was buried. He rose again. I had an old life. That life is gone. I have new life in Christ. But it also identifies me with the local church that I'm a part of. 
adds me to that. It's a, it's a requirement, in a sense, to church membership. But notice this also. Baptism is for every Christian. And otherwise, you can answer this. Who is baptism for? Every single Christian. The Bible teaches that baptism is for anyone who has personally accepted Christ as Savior. It does not save or wash away our sins. It simply shows on the outside what Jesus already did on the inside. Acts 8, 36. The Bible says here, it says, And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and eunuch, and he baptized them. Sometimes you might think, Well, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but maybe, maybe baptism is not for me. And you'd be surprised of the people that, that you would never know had never been baptized. I remember this, uh, my, my old pastor, Pastor Waddle. I lived with him for five years in Tennessee, and then he took on a church in Illinois, and I went with him to Illinois, and he was in Illinois for, for over 10 years. And then it came time, and the Lord led him to a church in Nashville. But before he left for a church in Nashville, there was an elderly lady in her 80s that came up to him and said, I want to, to, to admit something. I've known the Lord for so many years, but I've never been baptized. And the last request that she had was, before you leave, would you baptize me? An 80-something-year-old lady who said, you know what? I realize now that baptism is for me. It's God's commandment speaking directly to me, no matter what fears I may have. It is a commandment for all of us. Notice Christ, why? Three important reasons to be baptized. Number one, because Christ commands it. He says in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He also says this, Christ was our example. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. Why was Jesus baptized? To set the example of obedience that he fulfilled all righteousness. But also to picture his own death, burial, and resurrection. It was a testimony, an example that he set for us. But also believers in the Bible practiced it. Again, Acts 2.41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So... Notice here he says, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior and have not been baptized since, you should choose to be baptized because it is God's will for your life. The first commandment as a child of God, he says, look, proclaim what I did in your life. Do not be ashamed of me. But notice also this, how am I to be baptized? Baptism should be by immersion. The word baptized is the Greek word baptizo, which means literally to immerse, to submerge. It means to plunge or to dunk. And the Bible teaches that you should be baptized in water by immersion rather than by sprinkling because baptism is a picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And only immersion correctly pictures this. I don't know all of your backgrounds, but I know several people in my family who believe differently than this. Because maybe that's what their denomination's creed said. 
that, hey, you know, it's okay to be sprinkled or it's okay to have just a little bit of water poured on you. But when you look at what the word of God says, he said baptism has nothing to do with sprinkling, has nothing to do with just pouring a little bit of water. It has everything to do with immersion because that pictures correctly the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Notice these examples. Mark chapter 1. Verses 9 through 10. It says this. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. He came out of the water. If it was sprinkling, could John have just simply just said, hey, stand here at the bank and I'll pour a little water on you. But is that what he did? No, he went out into the river and he was baptized. He was immersed. But notice also this, Acts 8, 38, 39, talking about the Ethiopian eunuch again. It says, and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. He submerged him. He immersed him. He plunged him. He dunked him. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And other passages in Scripture that speak of baptism use the word buried, showing that baptism in the Bible days was understood to be by immersion. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should walk in newness of life. Colossians 2.12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So why do we believe in baptism by immersion? It's what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach sprinkling. It does not teach just pouring a little bit of water. It teaches immersion because it is what accurately pictures the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When then should I be baptized? Notice here, baptism should take place soon after salvation. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen people who've trusted the Lord and then you go to talk to them about baptism and what is a common response that you get? I've been baptized before. Maybe they don't truly understand. Maybe they look back at, to when they were a child and, and they were baptized or, or they were baptized for another specific reason or, or a church that believes baptism is a part of salvation. Whatever it may be, oftentimes that's what I've heard. Well, I've been Why do I need to be baptized again? Because we understand from the word of God that baptism takes place after salvation. Acts 16, verse 30 and verse 33. The Bible reminds us, remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul was in Philippi. He was in the prison at Philippi. God sent an earthquake. After the earthquake, the jailer, the person who was in charge of the prison, thought they had all escaped. So he was about to do what? He's about to kill himself because he knew that he would be killed for allowing all the prisoners to escape. But just as he was about to do that, who stopped him? Paul and Silas. And he realized, hey, they've got something that I need. 
And so he cried out, and you notice this in, verse six, in, in, in Acts 16, verse 30, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. Do you notice what he said? He took them the same hour of the night and straightway. And again, you can again look at Acts 2.41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Baptism for the child of God who's trusted him is not something that should be waited on and something that should be procrastinated on. It should be a decision that we make and say, hey, you know what? I trusted the Lord. I understand what baptism is. I understand what it means. I understand what it pictures. And therefore, I want to immediately let other people know that I've trusted the Lord as my Savior even if you were baptized before your salvation, you need to be baptized in accordance with Scripture after your salvation. The Christian, here's another blank, the Christian who refuses to be baptized could be compared to a wife who refuses to accept her wedding ring. Imagine this. I know how hard I worked for the ring that I gave my wife. I absolutely worked all summer in Colorado here like one of the hottest summers, maybe it wasn't one of the hottest summers, mowing for 12, 14 hours a day, five days a week, all summer, just to raise enough money to be able to afford the ring for her. I took my father-in-law with me. I drove him (laughs) all the way up to Denver, looking at rings. There was a lot of work that went into finding the right ring. I had my mother-in-law in in helping me. She she actually helped me see the ring first online. I don't know if you remember that. But she showed it to me, and I thought, hey, yeah, yeah. And at first, I didn't think so. But then when I took Pastor Rogers up, and we looked for that ring, and we saw that, I thought, hey, this is the ring. I was excited about it. I couldn't wait to the day that she not only put that engagement ring on, but that she put that wedding band on. Now, imagine my feelings. Imagine what it would be like for me to, for her not to be proud of that ring. Kind of like a slap in the face. I did all this for you, and man, I don't, you don't even want to wear your ring? But think about that. How can a Christian's relationship with Christ start off right if they refuse to follow him or are ashamed of him before others? When a Christian is not willing to be baptized, they are missing the blessing of committing themselves to Christ through obedience and losing the testimony they might have through public identification with him. And if for any reason, understand this, James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It is a good thing if you've trusted the Lord as your Savior, to be baptized. So don't live in disobedience. Let's apply this. Let's put it all together. Salvation is the greatest gift any person has ever been given. But again, Satan will do everything he can to cause us to question if you're really a child of God. And to avoid those doubts, there are some important steps you can take. Number one, settle in your own heart that salvation is forever. Record the date when you trusted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe somewhere in the, you will see it regularly in your Bible, uh, somewhere on a note. You know, it's very helpful. 
to always look and remember, hey, this is when Jesus saved me. This is what he did for me. And then review the verses in this lesson and even memorize some of them. That way, if doubts begin to come to your mind, you have the truth as ammunition, ammunition against them. Number two, share your testimony and your doubts if and when they arise with a mature Christian. Not every Christian encounters times of doubt. But if you're doubting, if there's struggles, and if you don't know where to look, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to say, hey, help me. I want to learn more. And then notice this, lastly, publicly declare your salvation by being baptized if you have not. It not only identifies you with Christ to others, but it has a way of cementing in your own heart the truth that Jesus has saved you forever. So hopefully tonight you've learned some things about what the Word of God says about salvation. Remember, it's for everybody. He loves you. He cares for you. And he wants you to be proud and excited of the fact that you are his child.